0: Well, brothers and sisters, as we come to God's word here together, let's bow together and pray. Gracious, merciful Father, we thank you for the time we've already had this morning to worship you and to uh, sing and declare your praises. We thank you now for this privilege we have to come to your word. Lead us, guide us, show us the truth, and change us, we pray, as we come to meet you today in your word, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. It has been said that on average uh, a family, a home, a household comes to a, a major time of upheaval, a, a crisis once every six months. Something that, that comes into the life of you or your home once every six months that just that just seems to throw everything into a blender. Maybe it is a time where there is a loss of a dear loved one. Maybe it is a relationship riff that tears things apart. Maybe as severe as a divorce or separation. Maybe it's the the news of a a health crisis with somebody in your family. Maybe it's the, the loss of a job. Financial things just all go haywire, It can be good things even though too, but yet it still kind of creates this upheaval. Maybe it's the arrival of a a new individual into your family, a precious new child. Maybe it's a, a move to a new home or a new city, a new job opportunity. On average, once out of every six months, we have something that hits our homes, hits our lives that is heavy. That, that makes us feel like we're in one of those moments of just, I'm like a human punching bag. Everything just keeps taking the air out of me. We've been thrown into the deep end. How do we find hope in the midst of this? How do we find, how do we keep, how do we get strengthened in hope, especially in the midst of some of these heavy, hard everything's in turmoil sort of moments. That's the question that we are going to look at and find an answer to from God's word today. I've titled today's message this, Hope in the Hardest Times. Hope in the Hardest Times. We're gonna be looking at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. And we are on this journey towards Easter, these last number of weeks, and we've been zeroing in on this whole theme of hope. This theme of hope that we find and are reminded of and encouraged with at this Easter time. And today, we're going to look at hope in the midst of the hardest of times. We are on the last night of Jesus' life. We're going to read Matthew 26, beginning of verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Here's the core truth that I want every single one of us to who have as a, a takeaway today from God's Word, it is this. In the hardest times, we need communion the most. In the hardest times, we need communion the most. In the times when life gets hard and we are longing and desperate for hope, the thing we need most, the place where we find hope most, is when we commune, connect, intimately, deeply, Spend time with our heavenly Father. Jesus here in our text is in a brutal moment. A brutal moment. A brutal time. He is fully aware of what is about to happen. What's coming next. As we just read there, it says in verse 37, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Over in the Gospel of Luke, where he accounts for this, it actually says that being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knows he is about to die. He knows he's about to be stabbed in the back by one of his closest followers. He knows his, his best friends are about to scatter and abandon him. He knows that he is about to be tortured. He knows he is about to be mocked and ridiculed and humiliated. He knew the sheer brutality and horror that was Roman crucifixion, being stripped naked, suffocating, hanging on a tree for all to watch. Even more than any of that, though, even more than all of that put together, Jesus knew that what is coming is the the separation of, the, the stopping of that infinite, beautiful, perfect relationship he has had for all of eternity with his heavenly father. It's about to be cut, broken. And rather than the love and sheer joy that they have existed in and enjoyed together, he is about to receive the full pouring out of the wrath of God for all of the sins of all of the people upon his shoulders. Jesus knows what is coming. This is where Jesus stands. This is where Jesus kneels, falls on his face here. This is the hard time Jesus is is looking down the barrel of. And as we have seen in these last three weeks, this, this whole season and time of Easter is a time of hope a time of hope, even in the hardest of hard times, even in this place that Jesus finds himself right here, there is hope that he clings to. And I want to point us to this hope here today. And I want to help us to see three responses that come for you and for me as we look at and learn from what God's word has for us here. First, within this scripture, in this scene, we are pushed to aspire. We are pushed to aspire. Brothers, sisters, friends, today, if you are in need of hope in the midst of hard times or when you look ahead to hard times that are going to be coming, because they come one, three, six months, at least we need to aspire. Aspire to be like Jesus, our perfect model. Dinner here, dinner here has just ended. Judas has been sent off. In a few hours, he is going to return. He's going to return with a mob. And then the next sequence of events are all going to transpire. So, So dinner is over. Jesus knows what is coming. In a few hours, that is going to happen. Now you're in this moment. If you're Jesus, if you're with his disciples, in the waiting, in between. What is about to come is clear. Dinner is done. What do you do? What do you do? Where do you turn? What do you go to? What do you do in that moment? In the hardest times, we need communion with God the most. Jesus does what he has done throughout his entire life, throughout his entire ministry. It says in verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus took his whole group with him out to a garden, to the Garden of Gethsemane. This was most likely a, a private olive, um, olive garden, olive growth. It was probably a fairly large place that Jesus goes to. And this was a go-to spot. For Jesus and his disciples just outside Jerusalem. We actually read over in the Gospel of John that, that this was where he went to each night. In, in, this, in this kind of week time here between Palm Sunday and the crucifixion, every single night he went out to this garden. John chapter 18 verse 2 says Judas knew this. Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place where Jesus was going to be because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. In just a few short hours, Jesus is going to show up at this place, with that mob and their clubs and pitchforks, ready to go after Jesus. Jesus here, we see, first of all, has a pattern. His pattern. Just had a pattern of getting away to a quiet place of private solitude to commune with his heavenly Father. All week while Jesus is here at this time, this intense time, this last week, every single night, this is where he went. This is what he did. All through his whole life in ministry, though, this was Jesus' pattern. Before he calls his first disciples, do you know what he does? We see it in the Gospel of Luke. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place where he prays. He feeds the 5,000 people. He's got a few pieces of fish, a few pieces of bread. After he does that, where does he go? Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. In the midst of his preaching and healing and traveling all around, where does he go? What does he do? In between it all. Mark, chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went out to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus knew. Jesus knew nothing was more important than communing, with God. Nothing was more important than communion with His Heavenly Father. He, he needed to get away from the busyness of life, from all of the things going on around him regularly to be with God. Even to, to get away from the good things. This isn't just about getting away from the bad things, right? Like his, his disciples come to him and say, say, we need to go and preach. And there's people looking for you who need to be healed. And, and Jesus says, No, I'm, I'm going away to pray. Why? Why? It's it's like, think of in in a really kind of oversimplified fashion, but think of your phone. Your phone is so helpful for so many things every single day, but what do you need to do at the end of the day? If it's going to be useful for you tomorrow, what do you need to do tonight? You need to plug it in because your phone will be of no use tomorrow if you don't plug it into its power source today. Jesus knew he will be of no use tomorrow if he does not connect up with His heavenly father today, he had a pattern of regular communion away with God. He also has a posture that we see here. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. This picture of reverence, awe falling down before him, desperate need before God. See, posture matters. Posture matters, doesn't it? When we interact together, even right here, like through a screen. If we were having a conversation right now and you're kind of talking to me and I'm just kind of like, while you're talking, I'm just looking over here and just kind of distracted. What does that say to you? If if we're talking and and you're sharing and I'm like, what does that say, right? But if, if you're talking and I'm like, yeah. What does that say? Posture matters. Posture indicates where our hearts are at. Our posture leads us into a certain attitude. His posture here is so intimate and humble and dependent upon his heavenly Father. Listen to how he begins his prayer. My Father, he says in verse 39, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. My Father, my Father. This is deeply personal. Deep, intimate family, here. That's what Jesus is saying. He's sharing what is like the rawest of raw and truly upon his heart. Father, if it's possible to take this away, but not my will, your will be done. He's sharing what's really going on inside. Total transparency. And then finally, we see here this prolonged time. Right. This is this is not Jesus rushing. This is not hurried. He, he goes off and spends like a significant chunk of time with God. Make no mistake, although we look in our Bibles here and what we have is like a one-line prayer. Father, if this, if you could take this cup away, but not my will, but yours to be done. Yes, there's a one-line prayer we have recorded, but there's so much more clearly that's going on here, right? Because the first time after Jesus goes away and prays and he comes back and finds Peter sleeping, do you notice what he says to rebuke Peter? What does he say? It says in verse 40, he returns to his disciples, found him sleeping. Can you men not watch with me, uh, keep watch with me for an hour, for just one hour, he asked Peter. In other words, and I'm sure he does not have like a stopwatch here, but his point is he's been off for at least an hour praying and he's coming back and finding peter asleep. Jesus is not here just doing a quick little one-liner. This is not a short little 5-minute devotional reading. He's not just throwing in a quick prayer on his, you know, his drive into work or or while he's having a shower in the morning. He is spending extended, prolonged time alone, away from all distractions to devote his time to communing with his heavenly Father. In the face of the hardest of hard times, to get through it, to find hope in it, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He continues his already established practice of regularly getting away to spend time in sweet devotion and communion with God. First, we have to ask ourselves here, brothers, sisters, friends, if you're looking for hope in the midst of hard times, do you aspire to be like Jesus, our perfect model? Do you aspire to see what Jesus has set for us here as an example, whether it's the hardest of hard times or perhaps more importantly, in preparation for the hardest of hard times, are you taking heed of what we see here? We must build a pattern of regularly getting away from all that life has to spend time communing with God. We, we, we must see here, do you, do you put yourself in a posture before God that says, that says I am submitted and willing and humble. As I get away and commune with God, God, I want to hear from you. That gets you ready to connect with God. Do you engage with God on a deep, personal level, real, raw, honest, authentic? Are you making prolonged space for God? Not just, just five minutes at the start of your day, rushing through in between appointments or phone calls, or before you stuff your face with food, but are you spend, spending extended, prolonged time with God? God. We see her in front of us, an incredible model. One, that we are to aspire to follow. But in this story, we also see another cast of characters, don't we? As much as we might aspire to be like Jesus and follow his example, what we probably find is a whole lot more of commiserating with the disciples our fellow failures, don't we? We may aspire to be like Jesus, our perfect model, but we often far more regularly commiserate with those disciples, our fellow failures. Jesus leads these disciples out to pray, and what do they do? Jesus goes off, he prays, he tells them, stay here, pray too. Verse 40, he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He wakes them up. He warns them, guys, this is a dangerous time. You've got, to, you've got to stay awake. You've got to pray. This is so urgent and important. Gives them a little pep talk, right? Goes off to pray again. Comes back a second time. What does he find? Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Guys, what is going on? Why are you not hearing me? Don't you realize what is going on? How important this is? In in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 14, it says this, that at the second point when Jesus comes back, they didn't even know what to say to him. They were so embarrassed, they're almost speechless. Matthew doesn't even record anything. Jesus just goes back again to pray. Verse 44, so he left them and went once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing to God. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? They fell asleep again, a third time. These guys, these are the guys who, who they were all just like, just a couple hours earlier, sitting around the table with Jesus Saying, "We, I won't be the one to betray you, Jesus. No, I won't be the one to betray you, Jesus. No, no, it won't be me. It won't be me. No, I'm with you, Jesus. And now at this moment, just a couple hours later, Jesus is urging them, stay awake. This is so important. And what do they just keep doing? They just keep falling asleep. As Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The disciples totally fail at this point. They totally botched this one. The disciples have a problem. Unless we get too self-righteous looking down our nose at them, we've got the same problem, don't we? The Spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Just a few weeks ago, some of you might remember uh, we had the ordination service um, for myself here at the church. It was a wonderful morning um, and uh, super encouraging and so grateful for that time that we had together. Uh, but it, it was it was one of those like tiring mornings, right? And, and add on to all the mix of it, uh, it was the um, daylight savings morning, which is just a wonderful thing in the spring, uh, you know, lose an extra hour of sleep. And then, and then afterwards, we went out for lunch. And again, it was wonderful. We had a great time out for lunch with my family and And a couple friends that were there, Um, but but it was just it was it was exhausting. By three o'clock or so, we get back to our house, and Natalie and I are sitting in the living room, and um, she's sitting in the chair, I'm lying on the couch, and we're kind of chatting a little bit. And I could just feel how tired and weary I was. And, And as Natalie is speaking, right in the middle of in mid sentence. My eyes just unintentionally just start to to close, and I just probably even like let out a little snore or something. And and I I, I wake myself back up, and then notice that like she had stopped talking, and, and I try to like reengage in the conversation, pretend like none of it had happened. I'm like, oh, yeah, what, what were you saying? She's like, you just fell asleep. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't. And She's like, you you just fell asleep right now. She's like, it's fine, it's fine. Just just get some rest. So so do you, do you know what I did? So I promptly grabbed the TV remote and turned the TV on. Flip on the curling. Oh, that'll be good to rest. And then then the curling goes to a commercial. So I grab my phone off of the table beside me as I'm lying on the couch to rest because I'm so exhausted. And I start to look at my phone. And then finally, my wife, my dear, lovely wife rightly just says to me, what are you doing? You're exhausted. You're so tired. Why on earth do you have the TV on and you're on your phone? Just rest. See, here's the thing. My body, even in the midst of longing for rest, is is so just like bent and addicted to these distractions that I just go there without even realizing it. And so too it is in our spiritual walks with God. Isn't it? Isn't it? Where, where we we desperately need God. We desperately need the time to commune with God, but our flesh is weak. Our flesh is prone to other things, to distractions. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's the TV. Maybe it's it's the spring cleanup duties that you have as a giant list that need to get done right now. Maybe it's the projects around the house or spending time with your kids or the 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 big responsibility is going on at work right now. Big project that needs to get finalized. Big contract that needs to get worked out. Maybe it's even good stuff. <laughs> Serving a church. You know, maybe it's reading a good book, listening to some Christian podcasts. But there's all these things that distract us. And, and they may be good, fine things. But they can so easily become distractions from what we really need, which is communion with God. And our flesh is so bent to to these distractions, to go to the things that we don't really need when what we really need is to rest in the Lord. Our flesh is weak. Yeah, we might aspire to be like Jesus, our perfect model, but the truth is we commiserate a whole lot more with the disciples, our fellow failures. We, we sit here, even right now, from your home, you hear a message like this and, it, and it's like, yeah, 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 of course, yes, definitely. I need to spend more time with God. You're absolutely right. I need to set some time apart and then we're gonna turn the TV or the computer or the phone off. And then what are you going to do this afternoon? What's gonna come up to take your mind away? What are you going to do tomorrow? What's what's Thursday afternoon going to look like? Where it so quickly comes in, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I need to do that. Just like the disciples. Jesus, we will never abandon you. All the way around the table, we will be with you. We will follow you. Yeah, yeah, we can stay up and pray. And then what do they do? They just fall asleep. Yeah, 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 I, I know I need to pray. I know I need to get into the Bible. I know I need to spend time communing with you. I desperately long for hope so much, oh God. the spirit is willing, but oh, our flesh is weak. We might aspire to the perfect model of Jesus, but we end up commiserating with our fellow failures. It reminds me of that story of Jesus with Mary and Martha, the two sisters. Jesus goes into their house. Martha is so excited, right? She wants to fix up a wonderful meal to serve Jesus. She's literally going to get to do hospitality to the king of all kings of the universe. And she's so excited. She's getting all the work ready. And then then she sees her sister just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she gets so frustrated with her and says, don't you see what's wrong with this? Jesus, tell my sister Mary to get up and come and be with me and to help me because we're, we're here serving you. I mean, how much better can it get than serving Jesus? No. And then Jesus turns and says, Martha, Martha, you've missed the one thing. Mary gets it. You're missing it. One thing most important. One thing. We hear all this, but we're like, yeah, 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 but, but what about, what about, what about my kids? What about the stuff I've got to do in the house? What about the stuff I've got to do with work? What about, what about, what about? You know, this is what Jesus faced, right? <laughs> this isn't unique to us. We, we saw it with his disciples. They come to him and be like, they need to hear the gospel, Jesus. They need to be healed, Jesus. And he says, no, I gotta go. I, I know what I need most. It's to commune with the Lord. Which leads to our final lesson. Fight your flesh, brothers and sisters, with the power of Christ. We might aspire to the perfect model of Jesus. We end up more often than not commiserating with our fellow failures, the disciples. And so we need to fight our flesh with the power of Christ. If you want to live in hope, to walk in hope, even in the hardest of hard times, here's what you need to do. You need to fight your flesh, but don't miss this, with the power of Christ. Not with your own power, not with your own strength, but with the power and victory of Jesus Christ. Jesus here prays three times this same prayer. What was the prayer? Do you see it there? Let I me mean, just read one one copy of it. My Father, if it is possible, make this cup take this cup away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What is he talking about here? Jesus is pleading with his heavenly Father about, about the, the the steps that are about to come here, where he's going to have to lay down his life and to receive all of the wrath of God upon his shoulders as a substitute, taking all of your punishment and all of my punishment in in our place. He's saying, if there's any other way for the world to be saved, let it be done. But, But if not, I will follow your will, O God. And we know Jesus, he went to the cross because that was the only way. He drank the cup. Jesus drank the cup of God's righteous wrath to set you free, to give you hope, to give me hope, and to give us the power to live in hope. Hope of eternal life, hope of forgiveness from our sin, hope of a relationship with God. Jesus gives us the power also to live in that hope, the power of his presence to fight against the flesh. Friend, I have to ask, have you accepted this gift of hope? Because none of this message is of any good if you have not first of all come and accepted this gracious and amazing gift that God offers freely to you, the gift of hope that Jesus, he laid down his life, he took the cup, the wrath of God to set you free. Have you accepted that? Have you received that? Today can be the day, even right there from your home, to just say to him, please, yes, I want that. I want what this guy's talking about please, if it could be possible. Jesus, though, he, he is our hope. He's our only hope. Jesus is the one who gives us power to live in hope. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, for you died, and you your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, Verse five, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Notice here, there is a status statement, and then there is an action step to be taken here. This is so important, okay? There's a status statement. If you have given your life to Christ, it's said there, verse one, you have been raised with Christ. You have died and are hidden with Christ in God. So if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, or if even today you do put your faith in Jesus Christ, as this is saying, you will be found hidden with Christ, given hope, forgiven for all of eternity, eternal life, right here, right now. That is a done, finished deal. That is your status in Jesus Christ. But there is also a step to be taken. There is a command for us here that is given. We died. And therefore, we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. We must put to death. We must go to war. We must take up arms against our flesh, not against other people, not against other nations, but against the the spiritual forces of of wicked in the heavenly realms about the flesh going on in our own lives and our own hearts. We must fight to live for Jesus, fight to discipline our bodies, fight our flesh by the power of Christ. Hope is a gift that God is offering to you. It is found in communing with God, spending time developing a deep, personal, tight, intimate relationship with him. In the hardest of hard times, we need communion the most. That is where hope is found, friends. And that is where we must fight because our flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. The Spirit who dwells within us because Christ gave him to us so that we can fight against the flesh. It takes work. It takes discipline. The Spirit of God is in you if you are a follower of Jesus with all the resources and powers that you need, but you need to lean into him. Jenny Allen, in her book, Nothing to Prove, paints this beautiful picture that I think is just so vivid and wonderful. It's like, imagine you were walking down a street and God has this street and there's just warehouses on either side. As long as you can see, as far as the eye can see, there's this one long street and warehouses on either side. And in each warehouse, there's a sign above the big door, okay? And and one of the signs, the first warehouse on your left-hand side here. There's a big sign and it says wisdom. And if you were to slide that door open, what God has for you there by his spirit is wisdom for every single situation you could possibly imagine. From floor to ceiling, every shelf in that warehouse is filled with wisdom for every circumstance that you will face. And God says, do you need wisdom? Do you need wisdom? Come and open the door. My spirit will give you wisdom. Just have to ask. You keep walking and you see that on the right hand side. Now there's another one that says gifts. You roll open the gate and from floor to ceiling is every single gift that you could possibly need for what God is calling you to do. And God's like, here, I've got them all for you. All you need to do is ask. All you need to lean into is my spirit to give you resource for it. You go to the next one, there's an, on the left, there's a sign that above it that says resources. Every material need that you will ever have that the God of the universe has at his disposal for everything you will need to follow him. And God's like, whatever you need, I will give you to follow the will that I am calling you to go. You just need to ask. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that so powerfully captures that truth in Ephesians 1 that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has been given to us in Christ. Friends, here's the deal though. Hope is there for you. The ability to fight against your flesh is there for you, but you've got to lean into the resources the Holy Spirit has. He, he has abounding, abounding resources for you. Everything you could possibly need. But you must lean into him moment by moment, day by day, asking him to help you fight against your flesh and to live for Jesus Christ. This, friends, in the heaviest and hardest of times is how we find hope. We aspire to Jesus, our perfect model of hope. We realize that we fall so far short and are often a whole lot more like those failures of disciples. We're just right there with them. But thanks be to Jesus that he took the cup that we deserve so that we can have hope. And then he gives us his spirit to help us fight our flesh in his power to walk in hope. Even, even in those hardest of hard times.